Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Hey, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. We are in part four of our series, Under the Sun, as our shirts say, and as the screen says it with the graphic. But this message is titled, Don't Be Alone. Don't be alone. And, and it's very important. Don't be alone. And you'll see why, and we'll see how uh, the Word just leads us to this place. But I, I want to start off in chapter four, verse one. Depending what translation you're reading from, one translation grabs this one segment and decided to title it Evil Under the Sun. I didn't choose that to be the sermon title. I didn't think that was too encouraging for anyone here. And if we have, I saw some some guests here for the first time. We want to welcome them. Thank you guys for being here. I I thought that if you were here for the first time and I say today's message is titled Evil Under the Sun, you'll be like, dude, I'm not coming back to that church. So let's not go with that title. Let's go with the title of you're here today. Notice something. If you're a guest or you're here every Sunday and every other gathering that we do, look around. Here's a promise to you. Here's something beautiful for you. You're not alone. So my encouragement to you, the message today is, so don't be alone. I think we choose that, to be alone. I think we choose to stay in our rooms and not go. I think we choose not to call someone when we really need to call them. All that person is is a phone call away, un cafecito away, a coffee away, a tostada away. That's all that person is, trust me. But we're the ones that choose, like, I don't think I'm going to do it. And what happens over time? Our hearts get hardened. I can't believe she hasn't called me. It's been two weeks now. If that's burning in your heart, you know what we should do? We should call her. We should call them and say, hey, I've been wanting to call you because I feel alone and I need your companionship. I need your friendship. Hey, if there's anything I could tell you today is don't be alone. Amen? We're not meant to be alone. Human beings, when God created us, he didn't call us to be alone. As a matter of fact, he made, Abra- um, he, made a- he made Abraham too, but he made Adam. And when he made Adam, he's like, it's not good for him to be alone. So watch this. I'm going to bring someone. I'm going to share this verse in a moment. And he brings Eve to be his helper. God made humanity to do life together. We've chosen to go against God's plan and to be alone. And that's the worst thing that we could do. Now, 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 you're talking to the person that likes to be alone a lot. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with just getting away. There's nothing wrong with going to a park and just detaching for a little bit. Walking down the beach or going into your room and just listening to silence. Those are very important moments. Jesus would go and be alone with the Father every morning. Remember? It's nothing wrong with that part of being alone. But you'll see what I'm talking about, about which which alone I am discussing. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, again, again, I, why again? Because he's just writing. He's writing everything he's finding under the sun. He's writing all the things that his heart has been telling him. Some things are truthful and some things he's wrestling with. As we learned 
uh, last week about we are like animals. And Pastor Javier was like, no, we're not. Solomon was in his feelings and Solomon was wrong in that. And I thank God that the scripture is there to show us that. So, so here's Solomon as he's writing and he comes to this place and he says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, <laughs> look, look at how he thinks this out. I thought the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. You're better off dead, is what he's saying. And to deal with the land and the oppressors of this land. Look what he says in verse 3. But better than both is he who has not yet been or who has not been born yet. Has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So it's, he's even to the point where he says, it's better that you're not even born. They're better off than everyone, the unborn. Verse 4, he says, then I saw that all toil... And all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And this also is vanity. We've already broken down for about four weeks what vanity means. It means emptiness. It's like a vapor. Nothingness. It's all vanity. Meaningless is what he says. He says this. It's like striving after wind. The fool folds his hands, and eats his own flesh, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. I mean, when you read here in these first six verses, I want you to see, like, man, what, what's going on here? What is Solomon, like, what is he feeding? What is he digesting and writing in this, on this pad that he's writing on? But it's important that we see that there's this truth here. And I want you to write this down. And it's this. With much power, with much power comes great responsibility. And we see that in the first six verses. If someone has power or power has been given to them, there comes a responsibility with it. I thought about presidents. Presidents. It's because something that we are aware of, they have a sense of power. But with that power, they must execute just and proper responsibility. If not, we see the continual norm that is under the sun. What is the continual norm under the sun? It's this, that the lack of responsibility executes power wrongfully executes power unjustly and many times plain out evil. When there is an individual who has power but they don't know how to be responsible with their power or they're being irresponsible with that power, we see that with time they could start using it to do great evil. They do it to harm people. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss what some of these things can be. But that's what power does. Power is a tricky thing. Power. Well, what happens to an individual 
who doesn't take on the right responsibility with the power that has been given, well, this is what some of the things that they do. They begin to take advantage of others. Maybe you're in this room and you've been taken advantage of because of someone with power. Was it right? But they had power. But they didn't use it right. Maybe you're in this room and you've used your power wrong. You're irresponsible with it. You harmed someone. You did something to someone. You someone. Sometimes you take advantage of others. That's what a person with power does if they don't know how to use it correctly. They, they seek their own gain rather than the betterment of others. I think about Jesus who has power. Remember when he was on the cross? They thought it would be a good idea. Let's mock him. How should we mock him? Yo, if you are the son of God, call a legion of angels to come down and rescue you. All he needed to do was blink a couple times, not even say a word, and the angels would come to rescue him and destroy his. But Jesus shows power by being responsible. Word in that moment. He wasn't irresponsible with his power. Sometimes, he, why? Because he knew this is, this is for the betterment of others. My death is going to cause your life to come. So in that moment, he didn't use his power for, for his own sake. Do you remember at the, at the garden when he was praying and drops of blood were coming out of his pores and he was there in a time where he was being crushed like the wine press teaches us and he prays a beautiful prayer. Come on, what is it? He says, Father, pass this cup from me. There's not a period there, there's a comma. But nevertheless, let your will be done. Why, why would Jesus say that? Because in his power, he was responsible and he recognized that my life and my sacrifice is for others. Are you with me? And he understood that. He got that. People with power that don't know how to handle it correctly, the lack of responsibility and much power, it leads one to treat others as we see harshly and they fall short of having grace for anyone. If you know or if someone has gone overboard with power and they don't take proper responsibility with the power that has been given to them, you'll see that individual, they slip Quickly, it's a, it's a fast slip into a lifestyle of commit, committing heinous crimes. Heinous crimes. Because I have power and they feel like I could do what I want with my power. Solomon is studying the land and he comes to this understanding. He's like, it's... These oppressors and the oppressed is better off not, being, not even being here. Who, who, who better to speak of this and know well of this? None other than King Solomon in his day. A man who was all powerful, who was worth, we've come to the conclusion of about two trillion dollars. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Just two trillion. 
And here he is, and he writes these things, and he, he speaks of this, and he shows us there's one being oppressed, and then there's this other person who is the oppressor. And he goes to say words like, man, those who are dead, those who aren't even alive yet, they're better off because they don't have to see, listen to the words he says, these evil deeds being done under the sun. I've heard conversations between parents to a new parent or someone that wants to be a parent. And I've heard crazy things like it's, it's, we're living in a day that it's, it's probably better not even to have children. You said that? You've heard that said before? It's what Solomon is saying. It's better not even to be born. The days that we're living in... Sh- those that have, are dead have already won. Or we talk about difficult times. And we talk about like, like the other day, what was my family talking about? Whoa, yeah, we could do that here in church. This will be fun. We started talking about AI. Artificial intelligence. Guys, it's coming. <laughs> it's here. There's factories and there's robots and there's all kinds of conspiracies that are happening. And all the... AI is here, and it's a problem, and the people with a lot of power are very worried as well, because what did they just unleash on this earth, and it's here, and it's present, and my family, we were talking about it, this is the new thing, it's AI, and it's coming, and it's here, and this is the things that could happen, and this is what it means for the church, and this is what it means for Christians, and someone in my family says, oh, in Spanish, by then I just hope I'm dead already, I hope I'm dead already. I just hope I'm dead already. It's what Solomon is saying. The days are rough. The time is crazy. Oppressors are real. There's no one there to comfort. It's better not even to be alive, is what Solomon says. It reminds me of the New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. I want you to see how James sounds a bit like Solomon. Look what James says. As he speaks to the church and he speaks to our hearts, he writes this. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? I wish we could turn off the screen and just have you answer that. (laughs) Can you imagine what you would say? Why are you fighting with your family member? Why are you fighting with your neighbor? I know neighbors that fight with each other because the silliest of things. Your weed is growing in my lawn. Your grass is this and your ha, and your tree in the palm fell and they fight and they're at war and they're about to kill each other. It's the, it's the issue. What's going on? Why do you fight amongst each other? Let, let's see what James says. He says, what causes your fight? I love this. He answers it in a way of a statement to ask a question. You could learn a lot from a big brother named Jesus. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Why are you fighting so much? Why do you look at everything negative? Why are you constantly bickering and complaining? Why are you quarreling? And and James says, is it because, and he does it, he he does it so um, gracefully because you got some issues inside you. Is it because of your passions that are at war within you? You desire and do love it and cannot obtain, so you fight 
and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask. Look at verse 3, guys. You ask and do not receive because you, he's writing this, says ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. <laughs> wow. You're asking for things you're, and you're not receiving it and you're mad because you want some other stuff and, 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 and you're fighting and your heart's all wrong because your passions are wrong in your heart and you want these things that God is looking at you and saying, it is best if I don't give this to you. But why, God, it would be so good if you can give me this and God's like, no, no, I know the end of the story. It's not good. There's passions at war inside you, son. What, what, what is Scripture teaching us? There's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new. The way of this world, the oppressors led by their own passions, as James tells us, coming together with Solomon's thoughts, there's nothing new. So where does this oppression come from in the human heart? Why is this here? Why is this trickling? Why is it growing? Well, it could be our own issue and our own complex of inferiority that we have going on inside of us because we feel inferior, so this is what we do. We want what others have. Oh, it's happened to me. And let me tell you the tricky thing about this. The agent that causes me to feel this way sometimes, it's a powerful agent. It's called Instagram. Oh, does Instagram make me want to have what others have? TikTok. Thank God I haven't gotten into TikTok. I guess that shows my age, but TikTok, <laughs> too. Oh, TikTok shows me what others have that I want. So now you're not pleased with your home, you're not pleased with your car, you're not pleased with your family, you're not pleased with your spouse. They remember before you had her, you were praying, God, please give me a spouse. Now you're not pleased with her or him? <laughs> and there's nothing new. It's better what they have than what I have, what I possess. So what does humanity do? No one here, but what does the world do? I see it in the news. I see it in all these documentaries that I watch. We fight. We push. We step on. We scrape. We claw. Even, we could look at it physically, but really, maybe even more emotionally, kill others to get to the top. Solomon says, this is emptiness. This is vanity. This is but a vapor. Oh, I could talk a lot about that. Listen, I choose not to right now, but if you are in Christ, I want all of you to know this. You should write this down in your notes. I'm getting to this point right here. Write this down. If I am in Christ, which hopefully you are in Jesus because you're here today and Jesus is calling you, I want you to know this today. Ready? If you're in Christ, you have power. Christian, do you have power? Okay, making sure. You have power. And I'm telling you that as you, as you have power, this is very important. 
make sure that we execute it responsibly, the power that has been given. Well, what are you talking about specifically, Pastor Rigo? Well, you have the words and you have the truth. Listen to these. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. That can save one from eternal death into everlasting life. There is no greater power than that. And we are to be responsible and we are to use our power correctly. Are you with me? I think it was, um, what's the dude's name? Was it Muhammad? Uh, who's the guy that said, I love your Christ, Gandhi, but I don't like your Christians. We need to use our power correctly. So, so here's Solomon in this thought that he's going through in the first six verses, and it causes him to lead him to this other thought, and, and, and he begins to describe it. There's this loneliness you, you, you think you're something, you think you have power, instead you're all alone. Your power used wrong has led many even not to like you at times. And we know that, that that's true. We kind of get away from those kind of people. Or maybe people have gotten away from us. I don't really want to be around that kind of individual. And why doesn't someone want to be around someone like that? For fear, for fear of what one might do. If I, if I continue with them, um, they're going to harm me. For fear of the pain that that person can cause. I know people that have had to run away, run away from their very own homes. From a place that's supposed to be comfort and security. Because the person that they share a bed with. They fear what that person can do to their lives. And they have to run. That's serious. Those are serious things that happen on this earth. Even within the church. It happens. This kind of person eventually will come to a place to feel lonely. Remember I said don't be alone. And they will continue to use power wrongfully. And they do this. And you say why do they act like that? Why do they continue to be this way? Because they feel like that's the way that I could be accepted. That's the way I'm part of. Or, or that's the way I could put my hand in it. But that's so far from the truth. All they are is controlling and that's what, what, what we see and we can learn from this scripture. So Solomon comes to this place to, to lead him to his next thought in his penmanship. And he begins to say, if you're going to have anything, this is what you should have. You should have companionship. You should have companionship. Someone to share life with you. I thought about that and I said, you know, life can be so scary. How many of you could agree with that? I love when I um, say these verses to people. I'm just going to have some fun with you today. I say things like, um, life is but a vapor. One moment you're here, one moment you're not. And we say it so proudly. Like to let people know like life is quick. But that's a scary sentence. That's a scary verse that it's like a mist. quick. Life can be scary. Life can be scary. You, you, you marry the one you love. You get pregnant. We're going to raise this child together. And your child is born. But it wasn't born 
the way you thought he or she would be born. Life can be scary. Do we want to sugarcoat things and pretend like these things don't happen? Life can be scary. Life can be scary. But you know when life is really scary? Life is really scary when you're all alone. When you're alone and you have those issues and no one's there to walk alongside you, that's the scariest place a human being could be in. I've walked in things alone and it has basically destroyed my life and then I've walked into very hard things with someone or someone's and it has been the greatest blessing in my life and God has shown me you're not meant to be alone. Watch how someone can carry the burden with you. Companionship is important. Let's read... What he says in verse 7, I'm reading from the English Standard, but the New Living uh, um, titles it this, verse 7 and 8, Advantages of Companionship. I thought that was a good title. He says in verse 7, again, again, everyone say again. He's going to find something else. (laughs) Again. Again, I saw under the sun. Look at what he sees. One person who has no other. Oh. Oh, God, did that hurt? What do you mean? Doesn't have a son or a brother, but yet there is no end to all of his toil. This guy works hard, but has no one. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he never asks, he never comes to this place, for whom am I working? Who am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also, Solomon says, is meaningless. It's vanity. Look what he says. It's an unhappy business. I like this because King Solomon, it's almost as if he's in his palace and he's hanging out and one day he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step out of my palace for a little while. And he goes and he notices this man. And he says, I'm going to go have a conversation with this gentleman. And he begins to have a conversation and, and he sees that this man that he hears and learns from and, and, and meets is a hardworking man. He's a diligent worker. He, he's a hard laborer. So Solomon, as he leaves his palace, goes and he begins this conversation and meets this man. But then he says, but, but this man's all alone. He's all by himself, he says here in verse 7 and 8. He's a solitary man. And he, he noticed that, man, this guy's a loner. He's by himself He has no relatives. Did you guys catch that in verse 8? He has no partner in his business. All the business is his own. He's laboring. He's working. And he's all alone. And he doesn't want any help. He comes to the place and I don't even want help. And you say, well, why? Why doesn't he look for help? Well, it seems that he wants all the profits from his hard work, from his business. He wants it all for himself. I don't know if when you read these verses and you read what Solomon is writing, if your mind immediately goes to the gospel of Luke and you remember the story in the gospel of Luke who was a man who had a field that produced much crops. You know that story? And he had so many crops, he doesn't know what to do. He's rich. He's like, woof, 
Look at my, he's alone in his field and he's like, look at my riches. In the gospel of Luke and this man, as he sees all his riches and he doesn't know what to do with them, he comes to a place and he says this, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. What do you mean tear them down? You have no one to give them to. He's all alone. Solomon meets a man and the man is all alone. The gospel of Luke writes about a man and the man is all alone. What good is it to have all the riches of the world and you're all alone? What good is it that you can't share a good meal with someone with peace, in peace? This man says to himself, I'll just do this since I have no one around me. In the Gospel of Luke, he says, I'll, I'll just relax for a little while. I'll get on my hammock and get a suntan. And this is what I'll do. He says these exact words. I'll eat, I'll drink, and I'll be merry. That's what your life comes down to? With all the riches in your field, you get on a hammock, you put on your Speedo, you get a suntan, and you say, I'll eat and drink and be merry. You have no one to pass this down to. You're all alone. There's no one there's no one in your life. That's what that man in Luke does. I think I've built it already to get to the points where I want to get to. Are you guys ready? That was the introduction. Now comes the message. In verse 9, he goes on. He says, two are better than one. Man, I thought one person that was sitting next to his other would say amen. That was a good point for brownie points. That was a good moment to say, thank you, pastor. I got you. I, I, I owe you. I'll read it one more time. Ready? Two are better than one. There you go. Hopefully you, you grab that person next to you a little tighter and you said, I'm talking about you, baby. This is not just about lovers, partners, oneness in marriage. It's, it's more... Two are better than one. Listen to this. Because they have a good reward for their toil, for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But, but, but woe to him, look what he says, who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Danger. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one Keep warm alone. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, if there's two, two will withstand that man. Oh, but wait a minute. Solomon gets into some crazy stuff now. He says, a three, a threefold cord. Well, that kind of family, that kind of people, they'll never, they can't be quickly broken. Let's talk about that, because I don't want you to take my word or this scripture out of context today. What it means by two and then having a three-cold cord in the middle of your mix. You know, when God made creation, he looked at everything he made, day one. What does he say at the end of day one? Come on. It is good. 
He goes to the next day. He creates more things. What does he say? You're getting it? You're getting it? He goes on to day three. He creates all kinds of stuff. Can you imagine that? He looks at everything he creates, and when he's done with his day, he says three, three words. It is good. It is good. He creates Adam. He brings him up. And what does he say? He doesn't say it is good. No, he does not say it is good. He says it is not good for man to be alone. Church, if God said it, I'm telling you today, don't be alone. Man is not supposed to be alone. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. It is not good. I got to bring someone for him. You might be single and you might be here like, I've been fasting for years for my spouse. Oh, this is so much deeper than your spouse. You know that there's a scripture, not in my notes, I just thought about it. It's in Proverbs, isn't it? It says, uh, a brother is born in adversity. A brother, a companion is born in hardship. He saw me at my ugliest. He saw me at my hardest moments, and he stuck with me. That is a brother that I could do life with. They're born in moments like that. When things get tough and people just fall out, it's the Lord showing you they ain't for you. I've been doing this long enough. I've seen the falling out. But when there's someone that stays there, I have, I have a couple brothers here, man, that they just stay. They stay the course because it's engraved in their heart that this brotherhood is for eternity. It's for eternity. It's for eternity. All right, let's read the scripture. When... One comes to withstand the threefold cord is not quickly broken. He sees Adam and he says, it's not good. Let's go ahead and make a helper that is comparable to him. And I thought about this and I want you to write this down. There are activities that will isolate you in life, but then there are activities in life that will bring you together. I guess we could say integrate you. And in Proverbs 27, Solomon writes, as iron sharpens iron. This is a verse that almost every men's group in every church in the world quotes. As iron sharpens iron. You've heard this phrase, haven't you? What does he say? He says, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. We strengthen one another. We, we lift up one another. You're downcasted. You're, you're saddened. You're, you're broken. Let me lift you up in the moment of your need. And, and this is the, the place that we're getting to today. And I'm going to make some points. And then we'll wrap it up because this is the message. Don't be alone. There's an example in the Bible of this one man. This one man who was doing things alone. In the Old Testament. Very famous story. Anyone know who it is? He was doing things alone. And he was leading a massive group of people. And it was going to drain him. And it was going to kill him. Do you know who it was? Moses. 
Moses was leading, I don't know, scholars could say 200,000, and then scholars could say 3 million people. But listen, whether it's 200,000 or 3 million people, that's a lot of people to lead, right? I'm just trying to lead three people in my home. <laughs> and that's been fun, let me tell you. Imagine all those people. And, 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 and Moses is alone. What, what, let's, let's talk about this, because if you're taking notes, it's found in Exodus 18. Moses sits before the children of Israel. The scripture says in Exodus 18, listen to these words. It says, from morning till evening, listening to their problems. I would say Moses was a good pastor. He's sitting before the congregation. When the sun comes up to the sun comes down, listening to the problems of the people. What a pastor's heart he had. I mean, what, I mean that, that, that is pastoralship 101. I mean, how did he do that? Sun up, sun down. Morning to evening, listening, counseling them, it says. And then in Exodus 18, it says, he was doing all the work by himself. Leading a massive church himself. He gets home, and his father-in-law's there. And it's his father-in-law, if you've ever heard of his name, his name is Jethro. Now you would think Moses comes home, and he's exhausted. His, his brain is fried and he gets home, he takes off his coat and he puts it on the coat rack. And he sits down and he maybe is saying that his father-in-law and everyone is like, Mo, Mo, you're the man. You did so good today. You preached all day. You listened to everyone's problems today. You counseled people. You gave advice to people. Woof, you sat at the city gate. You are the man, Moses. Woof, Moses. You know what Jethro does? Jethro doesn't tell Moses you're the man. Jethro doesn't say, good job, Mo. I'm so proud that you married my daughter. I'm so blessed to have a son-in-law like you. You know what Jethro tells Moses? He says, Mo, you're crazy. And Moses is eating. And he's like, what do you mean I'm crazy? You too? I just came from counseling three million people. I'm crazy? He's like, yeah. You're doing it all alone, Moses. This is what you need to do. This is why all of you need to get some wise people around you. And just listen to them. Don't talk over them. When they talk, shh. Listen to people when they speak to you. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. Trust me. There's a bigger fish in the tank. And they could give you some great advice. Amen? So what does he tell them? Go get yourself 70 great men. Leaders of Israel. And rise them up, put the, put the family in order, put them in groups, let them lead every single group, and let those 70 come to you, and all you got to do is deal with those 70, you speak to them, and they'll send the news back to the camp. Moses, be responsible with your power, man. You don't have to be alone. Learn how to dish this out to other people, that you don't have to carry it all to yourself. You know what Moses does? He doesn't do, Jethro, do you know who I am? I'm drawn out of water, man. They call me Aquaman. They call me Aquaman. I am him. He doesn't do that. He listens to the advice of the older man in his life. And Moses survives. 
Church, can I, can I tell you three things, three words that could probably bless your life today before you leave? Because we're going to wrap this up very soon. Here it is. Three very important words. Ready? Write this down. Don't be alone. You're not meant to be alone. It'll burn you out. Oh, I've heard that idle hands are the devil's playground. You ever heard that? Don't be alone. Let the friend be there and say, hey, the devil's knocking at your door. Let's go kick his butt. I want you to write this down. Right community births right productivity. And that's what Moses had to learn. So as I get ready to share some things with you, we all fall, we've all fallen. Maybe you're in this room and you've fallen in business. Maybe you're in this room and you've fallen in ministry. You thought you had a good idea. You thought you had this great vision and you fell. No one bought into your vision. No one bought into your preaching. No one bought into the plan for your business. And maybe you lost all kinds of income. You lost all kinds of that stuff and you failed in all these things. Come on, I'm going to share something with you because this stuff happens under the sun all the time. You've tried something. The Lord doesn't bless it, you feel like, and you feel like you're a failure. Maybe some people have fallen spiritually. Maybe some people have even fallen morally. But we can say this. Listen to this. It's when you fall down that you understand the value of a friend. It's when you fall. It actually says, write this down, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If a man is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We need to do life together. Restore one another. When you fall down, that there is someone there to say, yep, you definitely blew it. <laughs> you, uh, you messed this one up. But guess what? I'm your friend, and I'm going to help you get back up again. I hope you recognize that you're in a church that you've probably messed up in some areas in your life. But we're here still, and we're saying we're your family. Come on, get back up, and let's do this again. That's who we're called to be, a real friend, a real friend. It's seen by the way you make yourself a fool, and that friend doesn't make you feel like you've done a permanent job and you're scarred for the rest of your life. And you can say, well, that's good news to have. That's good news. That someone could look at you and say, hey, you fell pretty bad. I did, huh? Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> you fell hard. But that doesn't mean you're an outcast. What's a beautiful thing about a friend is that they could look at you right in the eyes and say, let's now, let's do this. Let's walk together. Hey, I heard one pastor speak on this, and he speaks about a book that he read. Listen to this. And in one of the chapters of the book, it's actually um, titled, Who Holds Your Trampoline? I have a trampoline in my house, and when a lot of kids get on that thing, it's very scary. I'm like, God, let there be no broken bones today. Life can be scary, like a trampoline. Let's keep it low. Very scary. And the author says there are four sets of people who hold you up. 
Because when you're bouncing up and down in life, look what he says, the author, you need a safe landing. He goes on to say this, you need four groups. You should write some of this down. This is not all me. This is from a book. I wish I knew the title of it. I could find it if you want by searching, but he says this, four groups. You need family, relatives, friends, acquaintances. Family, that's intimate family. That's close family. Maybe that's your spouse, your children. That's on one side, holding down your trampoline. But then you need relatives, he says. That's extended family. Maybe your aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, those kind of people, cousins. They hold down the other side of the trampoline. And then you need friends. Friends are the lifelong collection of people who stood by you over a period of time. You call them when you need them. Those are your friends. And then there's that fourth leg of the trampoline. You also need acquaintances, he says. Maybe acquaintances are work associates, people you work out with, you do other activities with. But he says you need all four of them. The total number of group for a healthy emotional system. And within those four groups, maybe it's about 12 to 16 people that are in your life holding your trampoline. And you have a different relationship with all of them. And most of them know each other because you're in the mix of it all. And he goes on in his book and he says, this is the point. If you're just married with kids and that's all you've got holding on to your trampoline, it's not enough. So my question to you is, who's holding yours? Can you identify people that should be on all four sides of the trampoline when you go up and down? Because the more you have, the more you have, you'll take a few risks. And it's true, you know, when I have a lot of guys around me, I get a little crazier. I take more risks because I got some guys with me. Anyone with me? Yeah. You just get a little, like, more bolder, you know? When you get some people around your trampoline, you'll jump up in the air. And you're like, I got a lot of people holding me down. I'm going to try it. And you go for the flip, baby. You go for the flip. Why? Because I got some people that are holding down my trampoline. Maybe you go for two. You have a little bit more fun in life. But you got to make sure that you have people holding your trampoline. That's called stability, church. That if they fall, the person in the trampoline, they could reach in and pick that person up. So we need this, this community we, in relationships. We need this to produce and, and be fruitful. We, we need stability. But then in verse 11, he says, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? You know what else, you know what else is needed? We also need this thing called intimacy. I want you to answer this question. How can one be warm alone? Because Solomon asks it. Can you be warm alone? What would you say to that? How can you be I get it. Some of you are like, I'll buy more blankets. I think now they have like um, heated blankets, don't they? Are they electric blankets? Heated blankets? That's crazy. When, when he wrote this, there was not heated electric blankets. My wife the other day, literally, I don't know what she meant by it, but she said these words to me, I want a weighted blanket on me. And I'm like... <laughs> What do you mean a weighted blanket? I wanted to go in the closet and come up like, 
a weighted blanket. I don't think that existed in the time of, of Solomon. A thicker comforter, you said. But we're dealing with the days way before all these things. In ancient days, when people would travel from place to place, they would travel in groups. You know that, right? And at night, they would sleep out in the open. You know, when it says that they were looking for inns when Jesus was going to be born, remember the inns? Those are not like your holiday inn today, comfort suites today. Those inns were a whole lot different in, in these days. They were not a comfort at all. It was open air, these inns. And people would sleep together in groups by huddling together because you know that your body is like 98.6, 98.7 degrees, right? So you get three, four, five people just crumbled up together. That's a lot of body heat. It's body warmth. They do that in military as well. I hope you know that. They teach them in military to, to use their body heat to help save a brother that is in need. It's all about body temperature. You begin to warm each other. So people would huddle together in a group when they would sleep and they would put a, a blanket or two over them if they travel alone. You know what happens with someone that travels alone? They have to carry more blankets on them because they're alone. So guess what happens when you carry more blankets on you? Your load gets heavier. Why are you traveling alone when you have others to warm you up? You're trying to do it in your own strength. Are you with me? I want you to think about what this means for us in our walk. Solomon closes this paragraph, I, this thought, this statement. I hope you noticed it. And in verse 12, he says a threefold cord. Oh, yeah, by the way, two. Good. You keep each other warm. Nancy, I'm here. But then Solomon says a, a three. Threefold cord is not quickly broken. You notice this, right? There's one, there's two, but, but there's this third. There's this one in verse 8 that's alone. He moves to verse 9. He says two are better than one. Then he ends. He goes to one, to two, and then he says, but wait a minute. In verse 12, he says there's three. The more friends, he's saying, come on, listen to this. The more friends, the better off. And that's the idea. From one to two to three. And he puts it this way. He says, a three-fourth cord cannot be broken that quickly. And you could look at this. I have a picture that I'm going to show you in a second. If you have a single thread, uh, I think this is engineering now, right? And you put weight on that thread. Guess what's going to happen to that thread? Immediately it's going to snap. But now if you get two pieces of thread and you hang weight on it, those two could withstand it a little bit more. But the heavier the weight is, guess what's going to happen to those two pieces of thread? The heavier the weight, it's going to snap. But if you're smart, it says there's a third cord. And you hang all three now and you put the same weight on it. But if you're very smart, I believe that if you're, anyone in here is an engineer, talk to me after. Maybe you could preach this next weekend. You grab all three strands and you begin to twist them together. It's what a lot of married people do. They either put sand they either light the candles or they, they tie the knot. And they put a three-corded strand and they weave it to make it one braid. 
And, and what happens is when, when you weave them together, when you weave them together and you put that, that weight, it adds incredible strength. It is something that you learn in engineering. I've been able to see this bridge. It's one of my favorite bridges. I've, I've seen some cool bridges in my life. I'm from Key West. So all the time I have to pass by the seven mile bridge. It's, you know why it's called seven miles? It's seven miles long. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like it never ends. My kids are like, is it done yet? It's like, nope. Got four more miles. It's a seven mile bridge. People run it for fun. I've also seen um, the Brooklyn, is it? The Brooklyn Bridge is a beautiful bridge. But have you ever seen this bridge? This is one of my favorite bridges. It's beautiful. Nancy and I and the kids have had the opportunity years ago. My kids don't remember. They were too little. But I took a picture just like this one. But this is the Golden Gate Bridge. Isn't it beautiful? Because the water, the blue, the red, they picked the right color for it. I mean, I just think that this bridge is it, man. That's the bridge of bridges. I love it. But if you zoom in closely, zoom in closely, you see that strand? Look at that bad boy. That's all it is. Go back to the bridge. I mean, by seeing a bridge that size with the amount of cars that travel on that, you would probably say that thing needs some more strands. But when you zoom into one of those strands, this is what you find. You, you find this beautifully weaved strand. It's suspended by these cables. These little wires that are wrapped around each other. And they form these, this is so beautiful. These little wires, you could peel them off. These little wires together form this powerful cable. You know what Nest Church is? It's little wires. <laughs> and sometimes they poke, you know. But they're wires. And you begin to weave the wires. And you get this massive, strong cable strand that, that holds down a bridge. That cars could travel on, that people could walk on. There's a threefold cord. It's not quickly broken. It's Solomon's way of saying community life is better than solitary life. Church, can I tell you something that I don't know if I've told you yet? But I'm going to tell you one thing, one thing with three words. And I can't stress it enough. It's don't be alone. Don't be alone. I sit down with married people sometimes and I get into the scripture and I say... This is not what you think it is. A three-folded cord means put Christ in the center and let him weave your life with him and you'll see that you will not be broken. That Christ is the center of your life like we learned a few weeks ago. You need a third, third cord that is wrapped around your life. And Christ is the center of that relationship and all relationships. Don't push him aside, church. 
Don't push him apart. Don't be apart from him. Make sure that you seek the Lord. Make sure that you look for his will. That everything you do, listen to this because I'm done, has that third cord wrapped around your life. Everything. Because the threefold cord is not quickly broken. How many of you could say amen? I want to, I do this with my kids that I, I pastor like 250 kids every week. I pastor them. And I, every time I preach, I do this. Question number one. Am I being responsible with the power that God has given to me? I want you to answer that question right now. Are you being responsible? Are you being irresponsible? I'm going to give you three questions today from everything that we said in the last 50 minutes. But are you being responsible with that which God has given you? I want you right there to answer that. Oof, the presence of the Lord is here. Number two, second question for you. Am I alone? Answer that question. Am I alone? Maybe you're asking this, why can't I get people to get close to me? People that could hold down my trampoline. People that could give me stability. Accountability in my life. Come on. Who's holding your trampoline? Are you alone? Question number two. Am I responsible with what God's given me? And am I alone? And here's the greatest question I could ask you today. Number three. Is Christ weaved into my life? Is he giving me strength to support the weight of life? Come on, church. Is he center? That's it. Just three questions. Answer them. Let's put them all together now on the screen. And in the stillness of this room, there doesn't need to be a shout for there to be an anointing. Someone doesn't need to fall on the floor for there to be the presence of God. Just right here, in the stillness of this room, in the stillness of your heart, as we look at ourselves under the sun, look at these three questions that are up. Am I being responsible with what God's giving me? Am I alone who's holding my trampoline? And is Christ center? Is he weaving my life together? Right there. Can you pray to your God? Right there, answer these three questions.
Lord, you're such a good God. Your word is so good to us. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For your compassion towards us. Your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. I pray that as we answer these three questions, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work that only you can do. And that you would do miracles all over this room. All over this room. Do miracles in Jesus' name. How many of you the Lord has spoken to you today? The word of God has spoken to your heart today. Amen. Be responsible with what he spoke. Amen. You have an assignment for this week. It's to go back and answer these questions. Examine yourself with these three questions. And also, I think that if you were here today, you were you were probably blessed by the presence of God today. How many of you were blessed by just being here this morning? I was. I was blessed. So you know what you could do? Can I encourage you? Be a blessing to someone. There's some empty chairs right over here. There's a front row right here. Next Sunday, someone needs to listen to these words. Say, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what is going on. But next Sunday, you're coming to the house of God with me. Hey, all it takes is an invite from you to start to transform the life of that friend, of that family member, of that coworker. Would you invite someone to come this Sunday? Coming up for Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's going to be a blessing. I only got three words for you. What is it? Ah, I thought you were going to say, don't be alone. Good job. Yes, don't be alone. But the three words to end is, you are loved. Go in his love today. God bless you guys. Take care.